Hey, it was like two months ago, I was in this room, it consisted of me, this tremendous tech team back there, my wife, and a camera. And uh, there's actually people in this room. And this is glorious, it's so good to be with you. And online, so good to have you joining with us. We are in unique times, aren't we? Uh, we are in unique times, and it's just a delight to be back. If, By the way, if you've been around our church here for a couple months, uh, I'm Doug, I'm one of the pastors here, and this is kind of one of the things I do. And uh, I get to be back, uh, and good to be back with you. Hey, I'm gonna begin with a conspiracy theory. You ready? Here's my conspiracy theory. Ever since we went about as a church changing our name, the world went nuts. Have you just noticed that? Am I too myopic in that? Or like, too, oh, it's all about us kind of a thing? But I mean, just think about it all. If you look at it, so in December we announced a church name. We begin implementing it here this year. And then all of a sudden, like a pandemic hits and schools shut down, work shuts down. There's no more graduation. So sad about that. And, and there's just like, uh, like, are we ever going to have sports again? They don't know what's going on with all that, and the world just goes freaky in it all. And then on top of it, I mean, we just have these societal things that are going on that just have, like, hit the wall, and, and just uprisings taking place that are just significant things. And, and, and then we're just like, even ourselves as a people, as a church family, we're just, like, scattered. And it's, like, at, at home and here, and it's just been weird, has it not been? And even to this point, I'm even now like, I don't even know what's going to be taking place in the weeks and the months ahead and what life is going to be looking like, both personally and as well as even as a church family in it all. And so uh, uh, here's my new hashtag. Hashtag new church name brings on a pandemic. Uh, that's kind of the whole deal. Uh, but I don't know, you got to laugh a little bit in it somewhere. Uh, but we are living in some unique times. That is for sure with what's going on. And uh, I'm just going to say it. This is a crazy cool time for us to be entering a new series in the book of James. I am, by nature, I'm just like, let's do books of the Bible, let's do chunks of Scripture. And it's been uh, over the year, we're back in a book, and we're going to begin in the book of James. And if you would, just go ahead and open your Bibles to the book of James. We'll get there here in a little bit. If you're new to the Bible, not sure where the Bible uh, James is at, go all the way to the end of the Bible. Go to Revelation. Everybody knows where that's at. It's at the end. And then just skip a few pages ahead of that, maybe 10 pages or so, and, and you'll touch upon James. Uh, James is only three pages long. It's three pages in my Bible, maybe four in yours. My point is this. We, we will say at times it's a book of the Bible, but it's really not a book as we would use the word book. It's a letter, and it's, it's really, my, maybe in modern days, we could say it's a long email. That's really what's going on. Uh, James, the human author, is writing a long email. And, uh, and I just want to encourage you, we're going to be spending like the next 17 Sundays in this book. We're not going to be doing it in one sitting. We're going to be going in paragraph by paragraph, uh, core idea by core idea, grabbing a hold of it. We're literally, we're going to mine the living life out of this thing, okay? 
and uh, because it's perfectly timed for us. I'm telling you, it's kind of like if I had the chance to set up life for us and kind of put us in a little bit of turmoil to come into a book like the book of James, the letter of James, I'm telling you, we are set up for it. God has done a work. And we are ready for this letter. And I want to encourage you over this series. It's just three pages. If you might consider one time a week sitting down and reading the letter of James just straight through. And if you can, in your head, try and get rid of the headings, get rid of the chapter breaks, just read it paragraph by paragraph right on through because that's how we're going to be working our way through it. Um, James is writing in a time that in his day was loud and crazy and scattered. Totally scattered. We'll touch on that here in a little bit. Now, I'll just say this. Can you imagine living in a time of life where the world is mad and angry and things are weird and uh, you're just trying to figure out, like, how do we do life in all of this? I have never been in a setting in my entire life where I have preached to where people are here and people are there live, where people are wearing masks, people aren't wearing masks, people are wondering what's going on, what's not going on. It's seriously, bless our hearts. We're trying to figure out what this is all about. And that is so what was going on in the time of James when he was writing. Plus, I'm just gonna add this to it. We'll see as we go along. James is writing to Messianic Jews. I believe in the early days of the church. And James is writing this to Jews who are scattered around, they're dispersed around. God's people have been dispersed. In the Old Testament, you see Jews dispersed all over the place throughout times of the Old Testament. You come and find out they're dispersed in the New Testament. Uh, we'll touch on that. But, but in it, you, you find that as they're scattered all out in all this kind of thing, uh, they are Jews living in Gentile territory. By the way, Jews were despised by Gentiles. And in it, uh, 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 Messianic Jews are despised by Jews of the day. So these are uh, redeemed followers of Christ living around people who don't really even like them and who think that they're off the rocker in some ways. And I just go, can you relate to that? Uh, with what's taking place in our world. And I'll say this, bless their hearts. Here are these people, followers of the risen Christ, and in it they're hurting, they're confused, they're suffering, they're just trying to figure out what it looks like to live for Christ, they're in a land as foreigners. In it, some of them are losing their way. And in it, some of them are even um, fighting with each other. Hmm, Might that even be going on in our world today? And so here it's the earliest years of the church. Readers, his readers and James are trying to figure out what it looks like to be followers of Christ in that kind of life setting. And oh, we can totally imagine it, right? Totally can imagine it. Well, what is so cool is God, instead of letting his people get lost in their confusion and their hurt and their trials, God, through James, sends them an email. And he lets them know, hey, let's talk about what it looks like to be God's people. By the way, not to do God's people, but to be God's people. There's a big difference. Know this, the book of James talks a lot about doing, big time doer. 
But in it all, as I've gone through this over the last few months, the thing that has stood out to me is the fact that James is talking about he wants God's people to be something. And we're going to dive into it, and we're going to mine the living life out of it. Ready? So God, we ask for your help. We ask that you would be among us, you would be with us, you'd be directing us, you would be showing your word to us, revealing to us, God, for families at home right now, sitting on their couches, I just pray you would be in their presence. I pray that you would be here in our presence in this room. And Lord, wherever we are scattered to, we know this, you are over it all. And you are doing a work. And we want to be worked over by you. And so we ask do that in our lives. In Christ's name, amen. We, uh, in December, we um, introduced our new church name. At that time, um, Radiant Bible Church, I likened it to kind of uh, putting on a pair of new hiking boots. Um, We had a church name, Harvest Bible Chapel, that, uh, man, I'll tell you, just, they were great boots to walk in. Um, but then there just came a time through some situations that it became very clear to us that it was time to change. Time to put on some new boots. And whenever you put new boots on, man, when they're new, they're awkward, right? I mean, they're just weird. You're trying to figure them out. You're trying to get used to them. They're stiff. They just don't feel like you. Sometimes you're like, man, I just want my old boots back. Uh, but it's the process of it. And so we decided we're going to take this year to... Uh, kind of walk in our new boots as a church name. Hey, Radiant Bible Church, are you getting more familiar with the name? I hope so. I'm still getting used to it myself. And in it, what we've done is we designed this year, ah, there we go. We designed this year to be about three series, each of the three words of our new church name, Radiant Bible Church, Radiant. Uh, Radiant God grasping his greatness. We spent about the first 20 Sundays of the year diving into that and grabbing a hold of not just what does God do, but who God is, his intrinsic nature of who our God is. And man, what a series that was. Hey, friends, know this. When we talk about radiant here, when we talk about it as a name, we're not talking about we're awesome, that we radiate. We are talking about it starts with a God that is radiant. Out of that, we certainly want to radiate who God is, but the radiance is not you and me in and of ourselves. The radiance of it all is God, and God is at the center of things here. First word in our name. Secondly, uh, word was uh, Bible. We actually uh, had conversations about, should we just call ourselves Radiant Church? Uh, Know this, there is no biblical mandate that you have to have the word Bible in your church name. And yet, as we talked about it, we're like, it's so who we are. And so, I'm so grateful for Pastor Nate and Cody and Nick leading us the last couple months in a series on a radiant God trusting his word. We're big about this. I just want for you to know, if you're newer here, we're not the kind of church that's just like, hey, let's look at a verse, read it, put it shoot it on the screen, and then I'm just going to talk about it, or whoever's going to talk about whatever we want. I'm just so out on that. This is God's word, and we want to dig into what God has to say. And that's why we said, you know what? 
we want to have Bible in the name. And know this, every Sunday when you come here, our goal is that every Sunday in some way you will be pointed to God and you will be taken to his word. And whatever noise is going on outside of these walls in our lives, bring them in. I mean, I'm not one to keep them out. Bring them in and know this. Bring them in and we're going to take ourselves vertical and we're going to put our eyes here. Radiant Bible. And then the last word of our name, church. That's kind of a common name. Um, And we're going to be right now in a series, Radiant God Being His People. And uh, we're going to talk about what does it look like to be God's people. And we're going to be basing this out of the book of James. Well, that's where we're at. That's what we're doing. That's what we're shooting for. We're now in church. Let's figure it out. Let's get going. And we're going to start this series out by today now, jumping into one verse. Yep, one verse. I'm cranked up about it. Uh, Just one verse, and it's the kind of verse that usually for most people, they're like, blah, 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 it was written by you. I want to get to the meat. It's the introductory verse. It's kind of telling who's writing it, who's the human author, to who he's writing it, and any other thing he wants to say there, and then we get into it. We're just going to take one verse. Why, Doug? Why, Doug, are we going to spend the time on this one verse? Because it's really cool. And if we're going to understand the rest of the book, I think it's important for us to get a grip of who James is, who he's writing to, so that we can get after it, okay? So join me in this. I'm going to try and make this fun and worthwhile in our time of it with just one verse. So verse one, what's the first word? James. We're actually going to use the verse as our outline too. No fancy today. Okay? So James, you begin with James. The question is, who is James? Okay, let me start that over. That was a bad on my part. Camera online as well. Everybody ask the question, who is James? I'm glad you asked. It's been a while, I'm out of sync. So who is James? Who's the author of this letter? Well, there's really four options. Uh, One, there's James the Apostle. James the Apostle, who's the son of Zebedee, the brother of John. That's one option. Uh, In Matthew chapter 4, you see uh, Jesus, we're told, is walking along the Sea of Galilee. He's walking along the Sea of Galilee, and as he's walking along, he calls out to uh, uh, Peter and Andrew, Peter and Andrew, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And, and they, they leave and they join Jesus. And then uh, it tells us that he goes a little bit further and he calls out and he, and he calls for James and John. They're brothers as well. James and John, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And James and John join. These are James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Okay, and uh, I'll just say this. I don't think this is the James that is the human author of the book of James. In Acts 12, we learn that this James dies. He's martyred uh, likely in 44 AD, about, uh, we'll say 14, a dozen years post the the resurrection of Christ, and uh, I think it's a few years before the book of James is written. I think the book of James is written right around mid-40s AD, 45, 46, 47, 48, somewhere right around there. Uh, in that time period. So it's not James, the son of Zebedee. Second option is James, the son of Alphaeus, uh, listed as one of the 12 disciples in Luke chapter 6. I'm just going to cut to the chase. I don't think it's him either. 
Next one. Uh, third, also listed in Luke 6, is another James, but not one of the disciples, but is James, the father of a Judas, who's one of the disciples, but not Judas Iscariot. Okay, and so there's a James. No, there's two Judases who were disciples. There's actually two James that were disciples uh, of the 12. This is the father of one of the, the, the Judas disciples, and I don't think this is him either. So, Doug, just cut to the chase. Who is it? Here we go. James. James, who is the son of Mary and Joseph, and that makes him the half-brother of Jesus. I'm just going to pause and go, Growing up with two other brothers, can you imagine being the half-brother of Jesus? I mean, you got some stories to tell. I mean, they had to pummel each other. I mean, boys are boys, right? Uh, it, and plus, Jesus was like on game all the time, and you weren't. That had to cause some issues. Anyway, James, James, the uh, son, one of the sons of Mary and Joseph, the half-brother of Jesus. Let's learn a little bit about this, James. Um, turn, if you would, to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3. I want to go to five passages here. All of these five passages are about us grabbing a little bit of a hold of who this James is. Uh, I think it's important to understand his story and who he is as he's writing this. I'm gonna just cut to this. James, man, I've had the last two months to dive into this as well as some other things, and I am so impressed by this dude. Listen to his story. Kind of begin Mark chapter three. We're learning some things about him. Uh, Jesus is healing, great crowds are following him. Uh, he goes up on the mountain in Mark chapter 3. He calls, appoints the 12 disciples. In verse 20 in chapter 3 of Mark, it tells us that Jesus goes home, uh, to his home, to his, where he grew up. And the crowds are gathering around his home, okay? So we're in the home setting. Crowds are all around it. And look at verse 21. And when his family heard it, I think when it heard all that's going on, they went to seize him, Jesus, for they were saying, he is out of his mind. <laughs> what do you think, James, about Jesus? I think at this point in time, James is going, my brother is out of his living mind. He is off his rocker. Crowds are following him, and I'm not on game with it. I just gonna say, that tells us something about the history of James. Not only brother, but he's like not on game with what Jesus is saying, who he is, and portraying himself to be. We also find a little bit more in, in John 7, 5. Don't turn there, but John 7, 5, it says, not even his brothers believed him. Some think that that's talking about uh, in the context of there that's referring to the Israelite brothers. I don't think that's the case. I think when they're talking about Jesus, they're making this comment in there that it's like, hey, listen, even his own brothers at home don't believe who he is. Okay? That tells us something further here about James. Uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 15. Another verse learning a little bit about this James. 1 Corinthians 15 the Apostle Paul writes this. This is a beautiful chapter about the resurrection of Christ. Let me begin um, in verse 3. 
It says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scripture, that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures. He's telling the account of the resurrection. Now follow me. Verse 5, and that he appeared to Peter, Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely uh, untimely born, he appeared also to me, to Paul. James is listed in here. This James, I believe, is the author, human author, of the book of James. And this is the James who said, you're out of your mind. And he knows his brother has been crucified and is dead, and then his risen from the dead older brother shows up to him. Hey, I'm telling you, If my older brother who passed away a little over a year ago showed up, that would get my attention. We're learning about James. We're learning some of the things. Now watch this. All of a sudden, he becomes a key figure. Turn to Acts chapter 12, left in your Bible, from 1 Corinthians 15. Acts chapter 12. In Acts chapter 12, uh, Peter is miraculously rescued uh, from uh, being put in prison. Uh, He goes to John the Apostle's mom's house uh, in the middle of the night, and they are praying, and uh, he comes and he knocks on the door. Rhoda comes to the door to see who's knocking, and she doesn't let Peter in. She runs back into the house and tells him, it's an angel. And then it's like, We've come up in verse 16. But Peter continued knocking like, hey, can I like come in? Uh, And when they opened, they saw him and they were amazed. I would say because they thought he was in jail. It's not about the story. Listen to what takes place, verse 17. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to who? to James and to the brothers. And then he departed and went to another place. I'm just trying to lay out some understanding of this James. And, and Peter, when he gets out of, out of jail, he, the first person he thinks of that needs to be told about this is James. Uh, two more passages, Galatians chapter 1. Galatians 1. We're going to come back to Acts 15 here in a little bit if you want to hold your finger there. Uh, Galatians 1. Paul is telling his story of how he came to Christ and was discipled along in Christ before he really enters into uh, full-out ministry as we know of it. And uh, Galatians 1, verse 18, he says, And then after three years of discipleship, Uh, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, to visit Peter, and remained with him for 15 days, two weeks. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. I'm just saying, you read this and you go, Peter, uh, Peter's a pretty significant figure. Would we all agree? And 
I'm sorry, Paul. Paul is a significant figure. And he's telling a story of the time, and he comes and he visits Peter, a significant figure. And then he visits no one else but James. Paul, Peter, James. You get this idea. Clearly, James is becoming a significant figure, both to Peter and to Paul, in what's taking place. James is not just some couch potato. James is some kind of significant ministry category involved in what's taking place. Last verse, Acts 15. Acts 15. Um, Last chapter. Take a look here now. We're just trying to learn James. I'm sorry, I hope I'm keeping you together, not getting you too confused in time on it. We're just trying to understand James. In Acts 15, Paul and Barnabas have come back from their first missionary go trip. They come back. I mean, God is rocking the world. And when they come back, they come back to what, in Acts 15, is what's called the Jerusalem Council. It's in 50 AD. Uh, I think this is actually taking place after the book of James is written, but we're just learning about James. It's 50 AD. They come together. They have, this might be like the first big senior pastor gathering of churches, leaders. And, and Peter stands up. Look at the middle of uh, uh, verse seven. Uh, Peter stood up and he said to them, brothers, they're at this meeting, they're at this council, you know that in the early days God made a choice among you that by my mouth the Gentiles should hear the word of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, bore witness to them by giving them the Holy Spirit just as he did to us. And he made no distinction between us and them, having cleansed their hearts by faith. Now, therefore, why are you putting God to the test by placing a yoke on the neck of the disciples that neither our fathers nor we have been able to bear? Uh, But we believe that we will be saved through the grace of the Lord Jesus uh, just as they will. Amen, Peter. Amen, Peter. He's talking before this council of key leaders, verse 12. And then at the assembly, they all fell silent. And then they listened to Barnabas and Paul. Paul. Got the picture? Big people talking. Peter, then Barnabas and Paul. And they listened to Barnabas and Paul as they related what signs and wonders God had done through them among the Gentiles. And they finish after they finish speaking. Okay, on the agenda, Peter. Okay, Paul and Barnabas. <laughs> The next person, I wouldn't want that slot. But who is it? And after they finished speaking, James replied. Now listen to what, James, brothers, listen to me. Simeon has related how God first, uh, the, the content isn't that important. Go down to verse 19. Therefore, my judgment is that we should not trouble those. Peter has spoken. Paul and Barnabas has spoken. James stands up and speaks as one summarizing. Point. James is a significant figure. James is a significant figure in the church, and this is the dude that is writing the letter of James. 
And when we come into the letter of James, we come into the letter knowing a guy wrote this, a guy who grew up with Jesus and thought he was nuts. And then the resurrected Christ showed himself and somewhere in there, James comes to know Christ as his savior, his brother, his half-brother as his savior. And now James comes into this significant figure in the church. And he's the one who's written this. And I just love that story. James Varner says this. You may agree with this, you may not. Get the idea of the point. If a stranger arrived in Jerusalem or in Antioch between the years 80, 40 to 62 and asked, who is the person in charge of this movement? Any knowledgeable Christian, including Peter or John or Paul, would have answered without hesitation, James. Moreover, he would not have needed to add the brother of Jesus because everyone who would have known that there was only one person who would be instantly recognized by that single name without any additional description or qualifier. You might pick apart on some of that exactly, but it gets the idea of it. James is a significant picture or person in this period of time. He's writing this letter, and now, in light of that, what does James say next about himself? I want to note this, what he does not say. As you look at your Bible, he does not say this. He does not say, James, a son of the Mary and Joseph royal dynasty, one of the half-siblings of Jesus, the Messiah, and one of the elite few followers of Christ that has, been, that has seen the resurrected Christ. Oh, and I don't know what his title or whatever. I don't know. Oh, I'll just, and chairman of the board of the church in Jerusalem. He doesn't say that. He doesn't pull out his creds and pack his bio with those kinds of things. What's the next words? James a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Man, I'm telling you, there's a guy now I can relate to. The word servant, in Greek it's doulos. It means a bond slave. We're now getting in terminology that for good purposes has very, a lot of sensitivity in our world. Rightly so. But I want to not avoid the sensitivity. I want to sit in the sensitivity because James uses it about himself. James, a bond servant, a bond slave of the Lord. Slavery. Satan wants to enslave people. He prowls around seeking who he can devour. Created in the image of God, humans that he can devour and own. Genesis 3, Adam and Eve, that's what it was all about. He wanted to own them. Genesis 4, Cain wants to own his brother and do whatever he wants to do to his brother. In fact, murder him. 
And God says to him, watch it, Cain. Sin wants to rule over you. Sin wants to enslave you. Cain, you better watch it, man. John 8, 34, Jesus says that everyone who sins is a slave to sin. Ephesians 2, 2. Notes that because of sin, we start at the place of being sons and daughters of disobedience. The text says, owned by Satan, actually uh, owned by the power of the prince of the air. That's what Satan wants to do. Satan wants to pull you into his slavery dumb. And then created in the image of God human beings over history and even today have thought and continue to think that somehow they can own other created in the image of God human beings. And it's wickedness. Our traditional understanding of slavery is wicked. That someone can own another human being as a working slave? Are you kidding me? That is wicked. And do we even know that today it's estimated that some 20 to 40 million people in our world are owned as slaves? It's wickedness. We have sex slavery today. And it's wicked. That somehow it's viewed that someone can be owned. We have abortion slavery. That somehow it's viewed that a created in the image of human, created in the image of God, human can somehow own and have the right over another created in the in the image of God, human. It is wicked. Preach it, child. Was that my grandchild? Boom. Today it's estimated that there are some 50, 55 million children aborted worldwide. That's the entire country of England every year. That is California, Oregon, and Washington every year. Every year. Oh, how humanity should lament over what's taken place in the past. Oh, how humanity should lament over what's taking place in the present. And yet, as hard as the word is, James uses it of himself. And James says that he is owned. Who's he owned by? He's owned by God. 
and the Lord Jesus. And we did a series at the beginning of this year for some 20 weeks about who our God is. And friends, I am telling you, I'm good with that God owning me. And if you have come to know Jesus Christ as your Savior and driven the stake in the ground and received him as your Savior for the work of your sin to seal you and to hold you, know this, you are owned. We're not talking about buddies. We're not talking about palsies with God. And there's too much of that going on today. It's talking about coming to the realization that I don't want to own me anymore and I don't want to be owned by Satan anymore. I want to be owned by this God through the work of Christ. And that's what James is saying who he is. I am owned by that. Time. I've got to fast it. I don't even know what that just meant. i got to move. Okay. James, the servant of God, Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes in the dispersion, quickly. Since Old Testament days, the Jews have been dispersed. I mean, you just see them dispersed. I mean, Daniel, dispersed. You just see that taking place. But then when you come even into the New Testament, you come to the place where, listen, Jews were just not living in Israel. Jews were all over the place. Then you come into Acts, even after it talks about in Acts 8, where Paul is ravaging the church, I believe it's in verse 1 or 2 of that chapter, when Paul is ravaging, it even talks about uh, the Israel, uh, Jews are scattered there from it. Christians, Messianic Jews, redeemed by the work of the risen Christ, are scattered all over. And know this, so when Paul and Barnabas go on their first missionary trip, in the 47 AD time period-ish, about the same time that the book of James, the letter of James is written, when they're going on, and when we did our study through Acts, every time they would come into a city, they would go to the synagogue, right? A synagogue in Gentile territories. That means that already God's people, Israelites, have been Jews, have been dispersed all over the place. They're all over in northern Africa, they're up around, they're over the top, over into Rome, Jews have been scattered all over. And while Paul and Barnabas are going and first stepping into the synagogues that are in these cities, and for the intent of reaching the, the Gentiles, ultimately, as well as Jews, to come to Christ, James here, at the time, either right before they go, or the time while they are on that, he's writing to Jews who know Christ. And he is calling them to be something. And in their day, a day to where they are just trying to figure out what it looks like to be someone that is redeemed by the risen Jesus Christ, what does it look like when we're scattered all over as churches all around, what does it look like to be God's people? Friends, that's what James is writing about. And I am telling you, the book of James is so crazy practical. and we're gonna mine it, and we're gonna go after it, and I've gotta finish. Oh, but Doug, there's one more word. Greetings. You know, we go right past that, let me just add this. In light of knowing what the rest of the letter says, James is not writing a, a mad letter. He's not writing, hey, uh, I gotta, like, Smack you up a little bit? It's not that. James, 
bond slave of Lord, I'm with you, man. I'm with you in struggling times, and I'm writing to you, my brothers and sisters, and I'm writing to you, and I just want, before I get any farther, to know this. You are loved. Okay? So we enter this knowing this dude who was a serious dude for the Lord. He wants us to be something. And we're going to mine it. We're going to mine the life out of it. Next Sunday we dive in. Radiant God, being as people in our knowing. In our knowing. It's verses two through eight. In your Bible it might be two paragraphs. In the original language it's one paragraph. We're kind of going paragraph by paragraph. So we'll be there next Sunday. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for people like James. Thank you for those that have come before us who uh, we can relate to, who, who love us today, who are interested not just even in themselves but in God's people scattered around. And Lord, we're about to enter into a letter, just three pages. We're about to enter into a letter that is so practical and so helpful. Every one of us can relate to the things throughout this long email. And I just pray, God, would you do a work in our lives? Lord, I really ask, I really ask that you do a major work, kind of life-changing work as a church, as a people, and in our homes, amongst us all for your glory, for your fame, bond servants for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.